All right. Good morning, church. So good to be here again today and for us to get to worship together. I want to thank Nino Elliott for being with us today to lead us in worship. What you don't know is that Nino got off a plane late last night after a week in Europe, I think visiting your daughter, right? And then woke up early. So for him, it's like about 2 o'clock right now in the afternoon. He's ready for uh, his afternoon snack, so I'll be quick. You guys are ready for lunch. Hey, it's a great day, and I'm glad we can gather today and and worship uh, Jesus together. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know uh, that we are in the middle of a series called I Have decided to follow Jesus. And this is a baptism series. And really, all of it hangs on this one question. We're doing it for this one reason because we believe everyone has to come to terms with this question. And here's the question What if? What if Jesus is who he says he is? What if? Now, I brought something today uh, I think that might help you uh, with this question and, and, and as we talk about this idea today. You probably have uh, one of these in your home. If you're anything like me and my family, we keep uh, this document in a very safe place in our home. Some of you may even keep this like in a safe or a fireproof safe so that, you know, if the worst thing happened in the world, these documents would be safe. We have these uh, kept in a safe place as well. And, and I wanted to bring this to show you. This is, this is my birth certificate. And uh, if you look at this closely, you'll see what it says on here is that I was born on June 6th, uh, 1977 in Thomaston, Georgia, about 800 miles from here. Um, You'll see that it was a a clear night. The stars were shining. It was almost divine. Okay, it doesn't say that. (gasps) It does say that I was born at Upson County Hospital to Mark Trevathan and to uh, Debbie Trevathan. Um, And it says here that it was the happiest day of my mom's life, which is, okay, it doesn't say that either, but I'm sure it was. Uh, It had to be. Uh, This is is my birth certificate, and you probably have one of these. Probably all of us in the room have something like this. And and we use these birth certificates to tell us, to show us, to prove uh, that that there was a birth, right? Uh, That we are alive. It proves that we are who we say we are. But the truth of the matter is that I don't need this piece of paper to prove to you that I'm alive, right? I mean, the fact that I'm standing here today is evidence that I'm alive. It's evidence that at some point prior to today uh, that there was a birth. The fact that you're here today, I don't need to see your birth certificate to know that you're alive, right? The fact that you're in the room today tells me that at some point prior to today, there was a birth and you were born and you are alive because physical birth points back, uh, a physical life points back to, to physical birth, right? Uh, The life that we live points back to the origin of the life we live. And our physical life points back to a moment in time when our physical birth took place. And, and, And no matter who you are in the room today, you're all living. You're all living your life today from that original origin story, from where your life began. And for better or worse, you're here today and your life reflects that origin story. It reflects probably where you were born the family you were born into, the circumstances around your birth, right? And so for some of you, you have a really good origin story, right? You have a really good family of origin story. And, 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 and if you're enjoying your life today, it may be just the simple fact, the simple reality that you have, you were blessed with, whatever you want to say, with an incredible start, an incredible origin story. You were born at a, 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 a really good hospital. You were born into a wonderful, loving family. You were born into a great community that's helped you along the way and taught you and led you and mentored you and and encouraged you along the way. Maybe you were born into a really good faith community. 
uh, that helped raise you and helped you to understand God's great love for you. Uh, And and maybe even if if you're reflecting on it right now, you're thinking about your origin story and you realize that in large part, your life today, the quality of your life today, the goodness of your life today reflects the fact that all along the way, you've been blessed by this incredible origin story. You were blessed with an, an incredible start with good people, with good family, with network and connections around you, a community around you that helped you get that first job, that maybe introduced you to your spouse. All those things happened because of your origin story. Some of you, though, you know, for just being honest, and you would say this, you know, you didn't hit the lottery when you were born, right? And it's not your fault, but maybe you don't have that great origin story. Maybe you weren't born at a great place or in a great location. Maybe, maybe you were born into a broken family. Maybe your family of origin wasn't that strong. And maybe if you're reflecting on it right now and you look back over your past and you realize that so many of the struggles that you've had up to this point in your life are because of that origin story. You didn't have the people around you. You didn't have the community around you. You didn't have that encouragement. You didn't have those mentors. You didn't have those connections in your life that helped you, or that would help others get to where they are today. And it's not your fault, but the reality of the the situation is, for whatever reason, you didn't have that kind of origin story. But the truth is that even if you love your origin story, even if you love how it all began and how you were raised and all that good stuff, the truth is that we all live in a broken world. We all bear the scars of living in a world that's fallen, of living in a world where sin and death and sickness and disease all exist and reign and rule the day. We all bear the scars of living in a, in a broken world. And all of us, if we're honest about it, all of us, everyone in the room needs a better origin story. Needs a better story to live from. And that's why I'm really glad you're here today. Because what God does is God gives every one of us a better origin story a better story to live from, a better place to point back to and say, this is where life begins. This is where my life begins. So we're going to look at a story in John 3. If you have your Bibles or a device, you want to open that up, turn that on to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John was a friend of Jesus, one of his closest disciples, and he wrote a story about the life of Jesus. And in that story, he tells this moment where Jesus has an interaction with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, we have this story as told by John of Jesus having an interaction with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a guy who had like the best of origin stories. I mean, he was the best of the best. He had the origin story that everybody wanted, right? He was born into a great family. He was born a Jew. He was born an Israelite. He was born into the chosen people of God. He was born into the the people that were known as the children of God, right? So that by itself was fantastic. He was born as an Israelite, born as a Jew. But not only that, Nicodemus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, a respected teacher. He was a a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders. He sat on the high council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which only a small group of men got to participate and be a part of. He was in the top 1%, right? He had the origin story that everybody wanted, that everybody would have loved to have had. But Nicodemus knew something was missing. He He knew there was something more, and he knew that he needed to talk 
to this man Jesus because, because he had heard Jesus teach and he had never heard anything like it before. He had seen some of the things that Jesus had done and he had never seen anything like it before. And he knew that he needed to go and he needed to meet with Jesus and talk with Jesus. But the problem was to meet with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to be seen with Jesus as a man in his position would mean to risk everything. Because his fellow Pharisees, his fellow members of the high council, his fellow, his colleagues, his fellow religious leaders, if they knew that he was a Jesus sympathizer, if they thought for a moment that he might be buying what he was selling, they would kick him to the curb. Because Jesus, with his teaching, with his miracles, with his following, he was threatening all of their teaching. He was threatening their power. He was threatening their position. If we're honest, he was threatening their income. Jesus was a threat to everything that they had. And if Nicodemus were to be seen with Jesus... In the light of day, it would literally mean risking everything, and so he came at night. At least that's the way John tells the story. In John chapter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, and after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And you can just imagine how the story unfolds, right? I mean, the sun is going down. Nicodemus is, going, is planning to go meet with Jesus, and his wife is worried sick. <laughs> you know, do you really have to go do this? Do you really have to go talk to him? Because she knew that not only was he risking his job, his power, his position, their place in society, that if he were caught, this would have ramifications for his family as well. She's nervous. The whole time he's gone, she's praying, God, Yahweh, please protect Nicodemus. Don't let anyone see him. Help him get his questions answered, but help him to come home safe. So Nicodemus goes, and he has this face-to-face conversation with Jesus, and he's ready to ask his questions. And here's what happens. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night, and he says, Rabbi, sign of respect, title of respect. Rabbi, he said, we all know, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. In other words, I've heard what you've taught. I've seen what you've done. I I really don't have any doubt that you, somehow, someway, you are from God. And in this moment, he's ready to ask Jesus the question that's been burning a hole inside of him, right? But before he can ask the question, Jesus interrupts, verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't even get his question out, and Jesus steps into the conversation, right? Nicodemus is, has been dying to ask the most important person in the world the most pressing question in his mind, and he can't even get the question out. Jesus jumps in front of him, and he answers the question that Nicodemus doesn't even know he needs to ask. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, this doesn't make any sense at all if you're Nicodemus, right? What are you you talking about? I was born into it, right? Remember, he was born Jewish. He was born an Israelite. To be born as 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 a part belonging to the kingdom of Israel, that's synonymous with belonging to the kingdom of God. He's got a birth certificate that proves he's already in. What is Jesus talking about? 
unless you're born again, you can't, you can't see the kingdom of God. I've got proof. I've got a document that says I was born into, as a children, as part of the children of Israel. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? So we ask him, verse 4, what do you mean? What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can re- reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say he must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, now Nicodemus, uh, forget all the questions he came prepared with, right? I mean, he can just, he can just put that piece of paper you know, over to the side. Now he's got a whole new set of questions, right? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Being born again? What, what is this? Jesus, what are you... How does this happen? How does this work? And so Jesus, Jesus makes it real simple. He's like, you, you get this. Humans give birth to more humans, right? And you know how this works too, right? If you're a dog person, dogs give birth to more dogs and they make cute little puppies, right? Everybody say, aw. Yeah. If you have cats, they give birth to cute little kittens. Everybody say, aw. Right? This is how the world works, right? And so Jesus says, this is how it works with God too. Humans give birth to more humans, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. This is why Nicodemus needs, in fact, this is why we all need a second birth. This is, Jesus is saying this is why we all need to be born again or born from above because the life we live points back to the origin of the life we live and we all need a better origin story. Well, Nick is still confused, and you might be too, and that's okay. So Nick keeps asking questions, verse 9. He says, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, okay, Nicodemus, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and you, you, yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, I, I will tell you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly understand when we talk about heavenly things. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but hear this, the Son of Man has come down from heaven. The Son of Man was a reference. Nicodemus knew this. The Old Testament, the scriptures of Nicodemus, he knew the Son of Man was a, ref- was a reference to the Messiah. Jesus now says, the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And then he throws this in there. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Eternal life? I think as Jesus is talking, Nicodemus is just spiraling into more and more confusion, right? Like, where is this conversation going? What is Jesus even talking about? Eternal life? Again, Nicodemus is thinking, I am a Jew. I'm a religious leader. I'm a rabbi. I'm a Pharisee. I belong to the Sanhedrin. I know how this works. To get eternal life, well, you're born into it, first of all. But then you keep the commandments. You keep the law of Moses. You keep the Ten Commandments. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is how you get eternal life. I know how this works, but you're saying something completely different. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? What is it? And then you go off on this tangent about the Son of Man, and then you tell this story about Moses and a snake. And if you don't know the story, I'll fill you in. It's a strange story, okay? You can go back and read it for yourself later. 
But here's the short version of it. Uh, You remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Israel was captive in Egypt, slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. God heard their cry to to come save us, rescue us, deliver us. So God sends Moses uh, to to set the people free from Pharaoh, from Egyptian bondage. He delivers them across the Red Sea. You remember this story, you know? And and now they're on a journey from, from darkness to light, from death to life, from the land of slavery to the promised land. They're on this journey. And every day, God's providing for them. I mean, literally providing for them. He's leading them with a cloud by day, with a fire by night. God's presence is there around the clock. They got hungry, so God fed them, literally fed them manna, bread from heaven, every single day, providing for their physical needs. But yet, even though God has been there at every turn, even though God has delivered them and provided for them at at every turn, they still kept complaining and grumbling and now it's, it's like your kids do when, they, when you're on a long trip and they're in the back of the car and they keep asking, are we there yet? This is what's happening with Israel, right? And they're complaining against God and against Moses, and God's just like had it up to here, you know? And so, crazy story, uh, I, I just don't, this is how it worked. God sent poisonous snakes into their camp, and they bit these complaining, ungrateful Israelites, right? And they're poisonous snakes, and so some people were getting sick, some people were dying. Well, Israel realized, oh, we've messed up. We, we have really messed up. So they talk to Moses and they ask Moses to, to pray to God for them. Moses does. And God responds. And God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a replica of, of this snake, out of, you know, make it out of bronze or whatever you got there. Put it on a pole, stick it up on a high pole. And if anyone gets bitten by a snake, tell them to look up at this image of the, the, the snake on the pole. And when they lift their eyes, when they look up to that snake on the pole, they'll be healed, they'll be saved from death. So Moses does. He makes a replica of the snake, puts it on a high pole, tells everybody, if you get bit, don't worry, look up, lift your eyes up, look at the snake, look at the replica of the snake, you will be healed, you will be saved from death. And that happens. Nicodemus knew this story. But this is like, it doesn't compute. Like if you're looking at your computer screen, the the wheel is just spinning, right? It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, The Son of Man, uh, Moses, the snake, the pole lifted up. Like what, what's, this is strange. What are you talking about? And then Jesus continues and he says these famous words. And you know these words. But I guarantee you in this moment, Nicodemus had no idea that one day these words would be on bumper stickers. One day these words would show up at every football game. One day these words would be written on the hearts of millions of people all around the world. In fact, let's just let's read these words. Let's say these words together in John three 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. Jesus speaks these words in the middle of the night to a Jewish rabbi named Nicodemus who could not be more confused in this moment. And then he says this. Jesus says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Maybe you thought that's why he came. He didn't come to judge you. He didn't come to punish you. He didn't come to condemn you. Maybe you heard that story somewhere else, but that's not the story of Jesus. God sent his son into the world not not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus tells Nicodemus, this is how much God loves not just the children of Israel, 
not just one nation, not just one people group, not even just one nation under God. This is how much God loves the world. He loves the world so much, so much, that he gave his son so that whoever believes in, and this is where you can almost see John trying to think as he's writing the story, or maybe if, as an old man in his old age, he's, he's reciting it to a scribe who's writing down these words, and he's trying to figure out how to say it. And maybe he's trying to remember how, how Jesus said it, and he's trying to, to say it the right way and, and make sure it has the full impact of the meaning. And he's, this is being written in Greek, which, which was the common language of the day. And what John does here in this verse, here in this moment, is something that as far as we can tell was never done before. It's grammatically incorrect. He shouldn't have said believes in. That, that's not how you say it. He should have said believes that. That would have been grammatically correct. But John knew that, that, that it wasn't ever about believing, learning and believing facts about Jesus or learning and believing facts about God. That's what happened before with the law and all that came before. And that's not what this was. This was something entirely different. And so we put two little Greek words together that as far as we can tell, it had never been put together before. Pistion ace, believes in. Because in the Greek language, there was no word for trust. There was no verb for faith. If you remember, we talked about this uh, several weeks ago in our series on John. This idea of faithing. There was no verb for faith. And so John says, I want you to write it this way. We're going to put it down this way. Whoever believes in the activity of faith, the activity of belief, whoever puts their faith in, believes in Jesus, they will have, they will see, they will enter into, they will receive eternal life. It's for those who believe in Jesus. They're going to receive this eternal life we're talking about. So Nicodemus, scratching his head, walks home. His wife is praying, but she's got one eye out the window, right? She sees him coming in the door and she hugs him. Did anybody see you? I don't think so. Did, did, did he answer your questions? Eh, not really. What did he say? I don't know. Something about a pole, Moses, a snake, lifted up. Son of man, eternal life. I, I don't know, honey. What Nick didn't know was that night when he met with Jesus that a light had dawned in his life. Jesus had come, and he was that light shining in the middle of his night to point him to the only God who saves what he didn't know, but I think he would one day come to understand, is that he, he was living his life from an outdated origin story. But what Jesus was offering was a new story to live from, a new beginning. Because the life we live points back to the origin of the life we live. And what Jesus wanted to give Nicodemus and what Jesus wants to give you is a new and better and different origin story. And my guess is, is that we have people here today who need that. We have people in the room today that if you're honest, you need a new start. You need a new beginning. You need a new origin story. You need a new story to live from because the one you're living from isn't working. 
And what Jesus wants to offer you is the same thing he was trying to offer Nicodemus. He wants to offer you a new and better and different story. It was September 24th, 1989 in Montgomery, Alabama at the Vaughn Park Church of Christ. And it was a sunny day. I do remember this. Uh, When I was baptized by my father. And that may have been the happiest day of my mom's life because me and my sister were both baptized that day. There's only two of us, so. And and if you were to get with me one-on-one and we were to swap stories, I'll just be real honest. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time talking about this. I didn't even know what hospital I was born in until last night, and I looked at this. I was like, oh, the Upson County Hospital. Never knew it. Who cares, right? But if we were to talk and tell our stories, what you would hear me talk about, well, you would hear, you would hear me tell you my baptism story. You would hear me tell you about my spiritual journey and the men and the women and the mentors who along the way helped me and led me and raised me and taught me and helped me become who I am today. And, and today, if I'm being real honest, as I stand here before you, I stand on their shoulders. That's the story you would hear me tell. Because the life that I live today is, well, it points back to a different origin story. It points back to a spiritual birth, a rebirth. And it may be that some of you today need that better story to live from. It may be that for whatever reason you haven't walked into the waters of baptism yet and you haven't, you haven't, well, for whatever reason, You're still living from an outdated origin story. And you haven't stepped into the story of Jesus. And that's why we're praying for you, because on Easter Sunday, on April 1st, here in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism Sunday, something we've never done here before. But you need to know that the leaders of this church, and there are many people in this church who are praying for you, because we want to see you step into that story, and here's why. Here's why. Because a different kind of life, and that's what Jesus is calling you into, a different kind of life requires a different kind of birth. And if you want to live different, if you want to live this different life we're talking about, if you want to step into the life that Jesus offers, it requires a different kind of birth, a spiritual birth. We call it baptism. And it's a moment where you step into the waters with Jesus, And like we've said before, it's not about what you do, but it's what God is doing in your life. You step into those waters. You die to your old self. You're buried with Christ. You're raised to a new life. You become a new creation. You become different. And from that day on, the life that you live points back to a different origin story, a better origin story, a story about Jesus. For the rest of us, I just need to ask you, What story are you living from? If you've stepped into those waters, are you living from those baptism waters? Are you living the baptized life? Or are you still living from an old or outdated origin story like Nicodemus? If that's you, I'm going to call you back into living, to living the baptized life. To living, to let the life you live be lived from those waters, from that day, from that story. The story of God's great love for you. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand.
we joked about it, you know, the day I was born being my mom's best day ever. But it's no joke. Uh, When you're baptized, when you're born again, when you're born from above, like Jesus talked about, there literally is a party in heaven. Jesus said that every time a sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we want to be the kind of church starting parties in heaven. Truth is, we don't really know what happened to Nicodemus after this night. He's only mentioned a couple more times. But we see him again at the end of John's story in John 19. We know that Nicodemus was there the day Jesus died. He was a part of this religious leaders, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the council that wanted to, to put Jesus to death. So there's, there's no doubt he was there that day. Maybe he was at the back of the crowd. Maybe he was watching from a distance. But just can you imagine the moment when Nicodemus is standing there and he's looking across the landscape and he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, raised up on a pole. And I've got no doubt in my mind that in that moment, he heard the words of Jesus in his heart again. Son of man, lifted up on a pole. Those who believe in eternal life. Here's what we do know. After he was crucified and after he died, John tells us this at the end of John 19. He said, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came who? Say it with me. Nicodemus. The man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus didn't care anymore. He didn't care anymore what people thought about him. He came in the light of day to the cross with Joseph. For all the world to see him help take Jesus' body down from that cross. He bought and brought 75 pounds of ointment to cover his body and to bury him in a tomb. And he did all that before the sun ever went down. He didn't care who saw. Something changed in his heart that day. And it's my prayer that something will change in our hearts as well. That nothing would hold us back that nothing would keep us from going all in with Jesus? It's the question. What if Jesus is who he says he is? And if he is, what are you going to do with Jesus? I'm going to ask our elders to make their way around the room with their wives, and, and if you need to get back to living the baptized life, they would love to just pray with you for a moment and ask God's favor upon you in your life and your situation. If you're thinking about being baptized Here in a couple of weeks, they would love to talk to you about that as well. There's a card in the back of the chairs. Take that to one of them. And if you can't wait, we'll do it today. That's not the point. Uh, The point is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Let's sing.